the financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now, here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast. Today, we welcome Fred Moskowitz, the author and alternative investments expert. Fred helps busy professionals to build wealth through alternative investments, such as real estate and mortgage notes. He is the author of The Little Green Book of Note Investing, a practical guide for getting started with investing in mortgage notes. He is also an experienced speaker and educator. Hey, Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is one of those topics, and I was excited when it came across uh, my list that we were going to do this today, Uh, especially, and we'll dig into it further down, but especially utilizing some of these IRA funds. That is something that was always of interest to me. I don't want to make it the whole topic. I want to kind of go through everything we have, but it is something that I'd love to revisit, something I've thought about and toyed with for a little bit, but I'd love to pick your brain and and, and hear a little bit more about that topic. But before we jump in, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Yeah, thank you, Paul. A little bit about myself. I started out in life. I had... You know, I had this really long, successful career working as a computer engineer, and I spent a lot of time, I was working at technology and startup companies, and what happened, Paul, was after seeing my entire industry get turned upside down, I mean, we we had the bursting of the dot-com bubble, and then that was immediately followed by the September 11th terrorist attacks. So if you can remember back to that time, all of this turmoil in the world was happening. And so the uh, economy was in shambles, especially for those of us in, in the tech industry. And so I realized through all of this that I was way too dependent on the income from my job because uh, I loved the work I was doing, but this job it was full of all of these circumstances, completely out of my control. And what I learned was that no matter how talented of an engineer I was or how valuable of an employee I was, if things were not going well financially at the company or in the industry, that I could quickly lose my job through no fault of my own. And so with that, I, I came to the realization that I needed to start building other sources of income so that I wouldn't be so dependent on the paycheck for my job. And with that, I turned to investing in assets. Uh, And my objective was to start building up an investment portfolio of assets that would create income for me. So I could keep working, but now I have this other income coming in as well. And so that, that gave a nice diversity to my financial life. That is amazing. Uh, you, you struck a chord. Um, I'm in the tech industry. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I lived through those exact times that you talked about. And and I do want to add that I think a lot of our listeners, uh, and, and this is anecdotally speaking, uh, from feedback I get, a lot of them are, are in the tech industry. <laughs> so, yeah. so this is very interesting. This might be a really good topic. Uh, for our audience to kind of digest and, and really open their ears and eyes to. And, and like we always tell people, do your own research. Um, 
if you hear thought provoking ideas here, dig deeper, you know, and make sure that they're the right ideas for you. But this, this is going to, I think, resonate with our audience very well, Fred. So thank you for that insight. And it also, also strikes, we should probably do an episode, uh, you and I around how you made that transition. Maybe I'm going to ask mm. you the question at a high level. How did you make that transitional jump from, from tech into what you're doing now full time? Did you make the complete jump? Or are you still in tech? I missed, I wasn't no. sure. No, I did make a complete jump. You did. It, it took over a long span, over a long span of time. Um, yeah, oh, more than 10 years easily. And uh, how did it start? Paul, it's all started with buying a four-unit apartment building here in Philadelphia, starting with real estate, owning real estate, and that started to create cash flow and income and tax deductions, so dropped me into a lower tax bracket. All of these different financial forces at work, which include an investment that's appreciating in value, and it's creating cash flow for you and providing tax tax deductions, tax benefits for you. So think about this, Paul. Your taxes, you go into a lower bracket, and now you end up with thousands of dollars more available to you that you would have paid in taxes. Now you have additional uh, money in your coming in, and you could use that to invest more and build. And so that's what I did. Um, I I started out with rental real estate, did really well with that. I, I love that asset class. But in after a few years, I started through my education. I was pursuing a lot of education in investing in real estate. I started to learn about the idea of investing in mortgage notes. And what I saw was that it was something that you could earn a, a really high rate of return. You could buy mortgage notes at a discount. And the best part is that you're investing in an asset that's secured by something with tangible value. So you have protection. You have downside protection, just like the bank does. And so combining those factors together, that was really appealing to me. And so over time, I started to to become more and more involved in that world. And um, now it's my, my primary focus, my primary business. But it's, uh, it's been quite a journey for me. That's great. And I could ask you a thousand more questions. And, and I think the one thing I want to kind of dive into, because I think you talked, you know, we just talked about, I think, why mortgage notes should be part of a diversified portfolio. We could, you can elaborate on, on that further. Uh, but let's start the audience off with, what is a mortgage note, right? We want to make sure that people yeah. are clear on what those are. And maybe if you could add to it, you know, expand upon why it's why it should be part of a diversified portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. So what what is a mortgage note? And I have a feeling that most most of the audience, most of the listeners know what it is because they've had the experience of buying buying a house, buying a property with financing. But what is note, note investing? You know, a lot of people, they invest in real estate or they buy, buy their primary residence, right, and, or, and do investing. And that, that's a, lot, a big part of my world, right, buying houses, buying commercial property or multifamily apartments 
or vacation property doing short-term rentals. That's really popular now. But let's talk about investing in the paper, in the paper of that transaction, which is the notes and mortgages associated with those properties. And it's really an interesting part of the real estate business. And a lot of real estate investors, uh, they don't pay any attention to this. And most people, when they think of a note and a mortgage, they think of being the borrower and not as being the lender. But what it does with note investing, it allows you to step across the aisle and become the bank. And so you transition from being the one making the monthly payments to being one, the one receiving the monthly payments. And what that does is it generates this stability of cash flow for you and income on an ongoing basis. And that's very powerful as part of your investment portfolio. Most, most, or many investments, you buy them, you acquire them, and then you hold them and wait for appreciation to happen, wait for the value to increase. And you really, don't have much say in the matter, right? It's, it's, and then when you want to realize the gains, you have to sell the asset, whether it's stock or mutual fund, you have to sell it. And now you don't own it anymore and you have your money back. Well, what, think about investing in assets where you own the, the asset, you own the investment, and it generates income for you over time and you still own it. So it's almost like you invest your principal and you, you, you have the interest coming in, but you're, you still have that underlying investment. It doesn't go away. And so having a portfolio of notes, it, it uh, provides that stability or whether you invest in real estate or you invest in a small business, whatever that might be the investment exists and then it generates income for you. And now you, you can live off the interest literally. So that that's the big distinction. And so as far as diversification, it's great to have both have some investments that grow and appreciate in value. And that's their, their purpose. And then have others that generate income. Because as I said earlier, when during economic turmoil, what happens with, um, a lot of investments is they may fluctuate in value, goes up and down, especially if it's if it's in the stock market, right? There's a lot of of uh, change that happens. It's a roller coaster, and if you have income producing assets, even if the value may go down, it's still generating income for you. That doesn't change, and that's what gets you through tough times. That's what helps you to sleep well at night. Because let me tell you, there's nothing worse. And I've seen this happen firsthand to people, especially when I, when I was in, in the working, working in, in the technology world. Uh, firsthand, I've seen this people that were getting ready to retire within a couple of years, they were looking forward to it and, and thinking about what they were going to be doing and what projects they wanted to take on. And then one day they go look at their 401k statement and realize that their 401k account became a 201k account practically mm. over, overnight. And now they can't retire when they thought they were going to. Turns out they're going to have to work another whole nother decade 
just to get back to even again. And that's horrible. I've seen yeah. that happen to people. And the danger is when you you work, you work so hard and invest your money, save for your future, and everything you have, the, the investments that you have, it's all in your 401k and nothing else. It's the only thing. That's risky because it's all in the stock market. It's all in Wall Street products. Yeah. Yeah. No, that resonates. I mean, I, I tell you, it, it's so funny. A couple of things popped into my head. So in the last couple of weeks, since I'm in the tech industry, I have gotten random phone calls from friends of mine saying, are you okay? Are you okay? Like there's, there's layoffs all over the place. Um, my friends that are lawyers and doctors are probably not get, or plumbers are not getting those calls, right? Yeah. Everything's fine, right? If you're in another industry, but I think it is a particular, it is particular to um, the tech industry. Um, the other yeah, thing that resonated. It's very cyclical. It is, it is. Yeah. And, the other thing that you said, and I'm, I'm kind of drawing it out a little bit, is when you talked about describing what a mortgage note is, right? People understand that. People can relate to it's, oh, it's the opposite of when I go to get a mortgage, I'm yeah. giving the mortgage, right? And, and that's a basic concept where I think when you talk about Wall Street and the 401k, people stuff their money in. You know, because that's the vehicle that they have. That's the engine right. they have. Yeah. And but are they truly informed on what the investment is? And and I'm going to say yeah. anecdotally, I'm going to step out on the ledge here and say, probably not. Right. Like I know, you know, I, I, I could read a little bit, but a lot of times the prospectuses come in. Am I reading them? Probably not. Right. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that my fund and my 401k is going to be there at the, at the level I need it for retirement. And. And I once had a manager, I'm going to overuse this story again. I had a, I had a, an ownery manager once that when I came to him and I used the word hope in, in, in my description of something. And he said, hope is not a plan, right? Like that's what he said to me. And I think the mortgage notes, um, which you said, you know, resonates really well. One of the questions I had, you talk about diversified portfolio. Yeah. What percentage of your overall portfolio should be in these types of products? And I know that's, it could be arbitrary, uh, you know, but you, you, we are in this world of 401ks and stocks and bonds and, and other investments. But in your opinion, what percentage of your portfolio should be in these types of, of products like real estate and mortgage notes? Wow. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. That's a very personal, personal decision. Mm -hmm. And what I always tell people, start out with something you're comfortable with. Um, it could be 5, 10, 25%. But I have so many colleagues that are in my world that work in this, in this, or they're active in real estate where they're like 90, 90%, right? It's mm -hmm. all across the board. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's up to you to, to see what, what you like, what does well for you. It, a big part of this has to do with your own personal experience. Someone that lost a lot of money in the stock market and got burned during a downturn, they're going to have a very different perspective than someone that's in their early, or tw early 20s just getting started in their career and, and work life, especially if this is happening during good times in, um, in business and the economy. And so think about that. It's very different perspectives for sure. Yeah. Um, and th there, there's no right or wrong answer. 
Absolutely. You know, something, Paul, something you said really resonated uh, about uh, about people not not knowing or maybe not paying so much attention to their uh, retirement accounts. And here's here's some questions that um, that I can give you that are very introspective. And this is what conversations I have sometimes with investors, talking to, to clients, talking to people. And I'll, I'll ask them a couple of questions about your retirement account. Do you know where, do you know where your retirement accounts are? Like what institutions are they held at? And that goes for the one where your current employer is. And then maybe you have a 401k from the last place you worked at and an IRA from a different place you worked at. And you have, may have these different accounts. Do you know where they all are? Right. Mm. Think yeah. about that. Do you can you tie off the top of your head or here, here, and here? Now, next we can go a little bit deeper than that. Is in those accounts, do you know what your money is invested in? Like what funds or what products they're invested in? Most people don't yeah. don't yeah, know. Don't. And then here's the third question. Do you know anyone that works? at that company, at that institution, that if you had a question, you could pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, Jimmy, um, can you tell me about, about what's happening with this? And answer basic questions and get service from an, at a personal level. The answer is no, every time. And so when you think about things in that light, this is where when it comes to alternative investments, it's very different because it's all built on personal relationships with people. You know what what is what it is that you're investing in, their assets with tangible value. Maybe you could drive drive by and see it, or at least send someone out to take pictures of it and, and send them to you. Right? It's it's something that's there. It's tangible. And these yeah. are assets that have value. So no matter what happens, if things aren't well, the asset doesn't go away. It's protecting your investment. And that gives you a lot of security. Yeah, that, that is great. And, and that prompted thinking about, and I want to ask this question is, so if I wanted to get started or someone wanted to get started, in this, in these types of investments, mm -hmm. I'm focusing on the mortgage notes, okay. right? Yeah, focusing yeah. on those. Um, what's the mechanics? Like, I'm looking at, I'm looking down at my desk, and like I said, I, I kind of people who listen to the podcast, I write notes as I'm listening with my with my little Expo marker on my glass top desk. Um, what's What's jumping out in my mind is like, is this something is that it's self directed? Do you, do you do you find yeah. a broker to help you? Do you is there a mutual fund you can invest in that just specializes in mortgage notes? Like, uh, once again, a newbie kind of just walking mm -hmm. and listening to this podcast for the first time. How could they get started? Yeah, the answer is yes to all of your questions at, at, at a basic level. How to get started? How to get started with mortgage notes? There's a couple of ways. Uh, one way is to go out and individually buy buy notes. You can buy them from other investors. Uh, there are hedge funds that sell notes that, that we know of and deal with in the industry. And so that's how a, an individual can purchase and own a mortgage note. Um, 
But another way to do it is to invest in a note fund, a managed note fund. And so what a note fund is, is where capital is raised from investors. It's pooled together. And so the uh, fund manager, they go out, they raise capital, bring it all together, and then go out to the secondary mortgage market and buy notes. And now they're buying in bulk quantity. So what happens with that? They're able to negotiate a better uh, discount, better pricing to buy those notes. And by the way, notes are bought at a discount to the amount owed. So that helps drive up your rate of return. We can get back into that later. But the fund managers go out, they buy notes in bulk quantity, they negotiate better pricing, have better access, and then bring those in and hold them to generate a return. And then that gets paid out to investors. So for investors, the benefit is that they're not really doing any of the work. It's passive. It's a passive uh, investment that's managed and it generates cash flow. And the nice benefit there is that investors, even if they're new or they don't have they may not have experience in this area, you're able to team up and partner up together with the fund manager and leverage their experience, their relationships, their expertise together. And that sets everyone up for success when you can do that. Because let's face it, this is a little bit can be complicated. There's a lot of moving parts in this business. I, I love it. I think it's a great business, but not everyone wants to be actively involved in it, and that's okay. So there's a place for everyone. Um, if if you do want to learn the business and be hands-on, great. It's a wonderful business. There's a lot of great books you can read uh, and education that you can pursue to learn that and be involved. Or you can invest in a note fund where it's a passive investment. It's generating cash flow. But as I said earlier, you're benefiting from the experience, expertise, and relationships that the fund manager has in, in the industry. And that's that's powerful. Yeah. And, and one of the questions that jumped out at me when you were talking about that, I was, I was thinking, is what are these underlying assets? You, you talked a little bit at the beginning of the podcast <laughs> around investing in a business or investing in a, a multi, you know, uh, apartment or a house. So when you talk about a mortgage note itself, what are some of those underlying assets that you could be investing in? Are they commingled or are the funds kind of, this fund is for mortgage notes that are multifamily. This fund is single family. Like, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So a fund usually will have some kind of a, investment thesis that they operate under on their business plan. Uh, most common is note funds that focus on residential mortgage notes. And so they're, they're residential properties that can be located anywhere in, in the United States, right? But there's other note funds that focus on commercial, commercial properties, or apartment buildings, different, or hotels even. There's different ones. Um, and so there, as you, as you know, there's so many different types of debt and all of that debt is sold and traded on, on the secondary market. And so that, that creates a lot of opportunities. 
for me personally, what we're involved in, it's residential notes. Think of your typical uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac residential mortgage product. That's that's it. And so what's the underlying asset? It's that house, the same kind of house that you or I may may live in. That's that's the asset. It's that's the real estate. So if you go down to the county courthouse in your county, you will see that these are liens recorded against the property. There there is security there. So that if that property is ever sold, it's ever refinanced, and they need to clear title. They have to go and resolve each of those loans, each of those liens and encumbrances against the property to uh, transfer or clear title. So some of you that may may work in, in real estate or mortgages know exactly exactly what I'm talking about. But this is how this is how uh, liens and and encumbrances work against real estate all, all across the country. And so in every city, every town, every county, you have this. You go to the county courthouse. You, you could look up your own property, right? You, most counties are online. You can look up your own property and see the different mortgages that are recorded in the public record uh, there against your property. And then if you go and refinance or you go to sell the property, those all will get cleared either through the sale or through the refinance. It'll pay off the old mortgages and create new ones for you. So that's a little bit about how that works at a high level. That's great. I think the audience can really grasp and understand what you're talking about. Once again, it's a very, I know there's some complexities in the, you know, in the industry and the way these things are packaged and, and, and some of those things, but the underlying investment concept is very simple, right? You have this, you know, in terms of the mortgage, right? And 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 I think people can grasp that and understand that pretty easily. Um, we talked about real estate. We talked mm -hmm. about mortgage notes. Are there any other alternative asset investments or cash flow investments that we haven't talked about that are, you know, it would be considered unconventional, but worth talking about here? Yeah, absolutely. There are many, many other ones. Um couple of ideas come to mind. Uh, you could have digital assets. For instance, you could have a book. A book where you own the rights to that book, or it could be a book, it could be a digital product that's sold. Maybe you sell it on Amazon. I, I have a book, my book about mortgage note investing. It's sold on Amazon. Anything like that, whether you have music. You, music is another big one. Music, entertainment in the entertainment space, movies, music, all of these are assets and someone owns the royalties to that, the rights to the music. And so every time the music is published, every time music is used commercially in, in, a, in an advertisement, Someone's getting paid for that. Those are the royalties that are generated. And so that's another, and those can be bought. Those can be bought and sold. Um, and so the people that own them, they get the income from it. You, you Again, you could have books. You could have uh, digital products. Maybe it's a course. 
right? Let's say you, Paul, because you're, you're a great interviewer, a great podcaster, very skilled and talented. You decide to go and create a digital online course that you can sell that teaches people how to get started in podcasting that want to start their own show and be successful with it. You could create a course and then that's that product gets sold. That's an asset that you own. And even if you're in your sleep, even if you're off in Hawaii on vacation, as that product is being sold, you get income from that. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that has value. That's something that your children can inherit if you were to pass on and leave it to them. Yeah, that's that's all. Thank you for the compliments. I appreciate it. And and that is an interesting take in terms of um, the alternative investment, in terms of you know music and and books and kind of that they're kind of coming from the tech world. The the old what was the term? Worm, right? Write once, read many, right? Yeah. So you write this one thing and it's read many, many times and that revenue is kind of generating from that. So, and I think there was just a recent example uh, as at the recording of this podcast, I think Justin Bieber just sold his music catalog, right? Yep. So for like $200 million, which to your point, right? They created these digital assets that he was able to then resell to somebody. There was an, you know, there was a, a need for it or a, a desire to have his catalog for commercials or whatever. And he was able to sell it. So that's a great example um, of, of this unconventional investment. I don't think our audience would have would have thought about. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. But think about this, Paul. Everyone, we all know things. We all have a skill. And it might be in a niche. And that could be a hobby skill. It could be a professional skill. Well, you can teach about that. With today's technology and the world we live in, there's a big demand for for online education. And so you can teach, you can write an ebook and publish it. You can do an online course to teach your hobby, whether it's how to raise horses or woodworking or podcasting, whatever it is. I always tell people, if you have a hobby you're passionate about and you love, see if there's a way that you can make it into a business too. Because yeah. when you are doing what you love, it doesn't seem like work, does it? You're absolutely right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it is. It is interesting, and and I could. I think we could talk about that. Man, I got more questions on that, but I want to. I want to switch gears a little bit, a little bit, and talk about something I said at the top of the podcast. Um, and and pick your brain on how does someone utilize a self-directed IRA as part of their retirement account strategy. And for those of you out there, um, this is a piece of advice I've gotten before I let Fred answer the question. Uh, whenever I left the job, I used to invest into a 401k at a job. Um, it took me a couple of jobs to figure out that a friend of mine told me, take that money out of that 401k immediately and put it into an IRA. So you have much more control yes. over the investments versus keeping it at your company's old 401k plan. Typically you get, you know, 10 to 20 fund choices in a 401k, but an IRA, it turns out there's limitless fund choices. And there's really, I don't want to say limitless, but there's a, a lot more investment options. And I think that's what Fred, yeah. um, 
you're going to talk about now in terms of how does someone leverage their self-directed IRA as part of this, you know, strategy, especially with mortgage notes and, and real mm-hmm. estate and other investments? Yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. I, I love this topic and I feel that unfortunately not so many people know about this. You're really lucky that you have friends that advised you or at least shared this idea and concept with you. Here's the thing. Self-directed accounts. So, oh, let's, let's get back to your, your original question. When you, when you leave from your employer, don't leave your 401k behind. When you leave the place you work, usually don't you go and clean out your desk and take your pictures of your family with you and your personal books and things with you, right? And everyone does that. But a lot of times people don't take their 401k with them when they leave. They 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 leave it behind. Don't do that. Because as you said, you're subject to the half dozen or so choices in there and, and that's it. Well, you're not allowed by by IRS regulations and 401k plans in general. You're not allowed access to that money while you're working at the employer. But when you leave, you can take it with you and move it to an institution of your choice. Now, I'm not saying take the money and withdraw it because you're going to get hit with a massive tax bill. So please don't do that. That's very foolish. Don't withdraw the money. But you can transfer it to a new custodian, a new IRA custodian, and think about it as that money goes from the 401k plan directly to the new custodian. The money does not ever touch your hands, so it's not considered a taxable distribution. You maintain the integrity of those tax benefits. So now the money's at a new custodian. If that's a self-directed custodian that you moved it to, now that opens up a whole world of investments. You can invest in mortgage notes, in real estate. You can invest in uh, private investment offerings, all of these different things. Um, it, it's, it's really, really powerful. And self-directed means this. This is not a, anything new. It's, it's right in the tax code. Now, if you open an f- IRA account at a big brokerage house like Vanguard or Fidelity or John Schaub or any of these, these big places, they're not going to allow you to do self-directing. If you say, hey, I want to buy a mortgage note or I want to invest in a rental property, they're going to say you can't do that. But they don't tell you it's not because the IRS doesn't allow it. It's because they the institution doesn't allow you to do that. So the IRS does not say what you can invest in. It's just right in the tax code. It only says for retirement accounts what you can't invest in. And it's a very short list. It's like you can invest in collectibles, in wine, in uh, life insurance. You can't invest in a collectible car, things like that. But everything else is okay. And so that means you can invest in, in rental property in, with your IRA, with your retirement account. You can invest in a small business. You can do an equipment lease for the pizza shop in your town if you wanted to and you knew how to do that. Totally okay. Totally within the guidelines. You can own um, 
mortgage notes, rental property, business ownership, invest in a private investment deal, all of these things. You hear stories like uh, private equity, people that have grown self-directed retirement accounts to millions and billions of dollars, very big stories that have come out in the past, like Peter Thiel uh, invested a couple of thousand dollars into PayPal when the stock before they went big, that was done out of a self-directed retirement account. And so he grew, and it was a Roth too. So that grew and grew into millions and millions of dollars. And when he goes to withdraw that, it's all tax-free. Imagine that. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so that, just to give you some different different, um, ideas about that, but in summary, that's how it works. So there are custodians. There are several good ones that specialize in self-directed retirement accounts. That's what they do. And so you move your money into one of these custodians, and now it opens up a lot of opportunities for you. That's how you do it. With our investors, it's something we talk about and teach about a lot because I feel that it's such a powerful strategy. You know, node investing, it's an activity that generates a lot of tax liability because you have interest income, you have uh, capital gains, and there's no deductions at all, no write-offs. So it generates tax liability. And one of the best things you can do is do your note investing using a self-directed retirement account so that you get that tax preferential tax treatment. Um, and that's powerful combination when you put the two of them together. I feel that a lot of investors don't analyze when you're considering an investment. I like the idea of looking at the tax consequences of that investment so that you know, and you can structure your affairs accordingly to come up with the best scenario for you. Consult with your CPAs. If you're doing a big investment, Make a 15-minute appointment with your accountant, with your CPA, to look at the tax strategy. What's the tax strategy for this investment? Do that before you get involved, not after, because then it's too late. Do it before. Do a little consult. Maybe it's a 15, 30-minute phone call you can talk through. But go into it knowing what your tax strategy is, because that's going to serve you really well, really well. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I think too many people jump in or I use the term ready, fire, aim instead of, you know, aim, you know, uh, and and, and they kind of do things in reverse. So I like the fact I think that could go. That's true for any major investment. Absolutely. Yeah. Any any major investment, whether you're buying or selling a property, even if it's your primary residence, before you do that, talk to your accountant. See what's the tax consequences. Yeah, that definitely so makes know. sense. And and the other thing that jumped out at me was when you're talking about setting up the self-directed IRA, and I, mm-hmm. I getting it's not something you'd really want. I guess you could, but it sounds like you don't want to do it yourself. You definitely want to set up that type of uh, account or that type of situation with the proper guidance, especially. 
not only for the setup, but I understand, and this is once again, I know enough to be dangerous. There's there's a lot of rules in terms of if you invest in property, you can't you can't shovel your own sidewalk or you can't do your own yeah. landscape. Like there's all these things where you have to be kind of really unattached from yeah, the investment. Otherwise, you could really get yourself in trouble and the investment can flip from an investment to kind of a personal thing, and then you could be on the hook for some of these things. So I, I don't That's think we have correct. to go down the rabbit hole here, but yeah. in your opinion, you really want to get that expertise to help you absolutely make that investment the right way? Absolutely. And that's part of the job of the custodian. They're going to make sure that your account is compliant. It's a big part of what they do. They, the last thing any custodian wants is for someone to get in trouble with the IRS because they were violating the rules, what's considered self, self-dealing, and jeopardize their account. So no custodian wants that. And they're going to protect their customers to make sure you're compliant, that everything's following the rules and uh, keep you out of trouble because you're absolutely right. There's some definite pitfalls, but as long as you stick to the rules and understand how they work, you'll be fine. There's not going to be an issue. Very cool. Very cool. And then what, one other question kind of tied to leveraging an account, uh, which I didn't even think about this until I kind of saw this in our show notes. Can someone leverage the power of a, of an HSA, a health savings account? Maybe, yeah. You could tell us a little bit about what an HSA is so people are clear. And then tell us how can they leverage that power, unleash the, uh, you know, unleash the power of the account. What do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. An HSA is it's, it's, a tax, it's another tax advantage account. And any custodian that you go to that does retirement accounts, they'll offer HSA accounts. It's a health savings account. What's nice about those is this. You get a tax deduction for your contribution. Okay. You get a tax deduction for your contribution, and then the money in that account grows tax-free. And then when you withdraw, as long as you're withdrawing to use it for medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. So that's huge. Think about the the distinction. You know the distinction between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA, where traditional IRA, you get a tax deduction on your contribution, but then when you with you withdraw, you pay taxes on the the amount. Roth IRA is the inverse of that. You contribute after tax money, but then it can grow, and then when you withdraw, you don't pay taxes on it. So think about that. The question I always say, it's an agricultural reference, is would you rather pay tax on the seed of your crop or on the harvest of your crop when it comes Mm. out? That's the difference between traditional and Roth. Now, with HSA, what's interesting there is it's the best of both worlds because you get tax deduction going in and then the account grows and then coming out. It can be tax-free as long as you're using it for medical expenses. And so I always encourage people learn about this strategy and use it because it, it, it's, it starts out as a small account. Usually the contribution limits is somewhere six, seven, eight thousand a year. And so that's not a lot, but you know what? You can put 
con- contribution into it for a couple years, two, three, four years. Now you have something you can work with and you could buy a small note with that. You could buy a small mortgage, uh, do some investing, grow the account. And that's, that starts to gain momentum after a number of years. This is, think about this. It's get rich slow, right? Nothing's going to happen overnight. It takes time and uh, time has to be on your side, but it's a powerful force. And so that just is like a snowball rolling down the hill and it's gaining momentum more and more each year. So that's, that's really powerful. And so this is something that uh, that's available to, to most people. Uh, it, all it takes is to learn about it, educate yourself, get aligned with the right advisors, the right custodians to help you and then put your plan into place, implement it. That's great. And I guess one last question around that front is when you talk about the health expenses, when you want to get the money out, Mm -hmm. it has to be for health expenditures. But I guess as we get older, we're we're going to inevitably have those. Exactly. Is that the key, Fred, that, that I think too many people believe that they'll be healthy forever and they don't see that horizon, but as you get into an older age, you're probably going to use that money where you, you don't think you about will. it so much when you're younger. No, absolutely. You will use it. You will use it. Uh, we can practically guarantee that the cost of healthcare is going to be higher in the future, not lower. And as we get older, we'll need more healthcare. This is natural, a natural thing. And if for some reason you did a really good job, you invested, you picked super investments that grew into a huge account and you say, I can't use all of this money. It's too much for health health expenses. You can still withdraw it after, I believe after um, age 65 um, and, and it'll be treated similar to a Roth, a Roth IRA. And so don't worry, it's not like your money's going to be locked up forever. But let's face it, most people throughout their lives, they'll have some major health expenses. And uh, it's nice knowing that, that you have that account that's going to cover anything. It, it, can, it allows you to um, have a lot of flexibility there for sure. But think about that. In the future, it's highly likely that the cost of healthcare is going to be more than today rather than less. It's not going to go down. Yeah, no, no, that that's, and I, I feel like I can ask you like 20 more questions on this whole, this one topic, but I'm going to hold back. Maybe we'll save it for another podcast. We'll dig down the rabbit hole of an HSA or even yeah. maybe go deeper into a self-directed IRA. Um, but one question I want to ask, you have all these activities, right? You wrote the book, you have your business, very active. How do you balance business and personal and how do you find time to write? How do you fit it all in? Like, that's, that's a good, that's a question I always like to ask the guests because I tend to talk to guests that have a lot going on and, and most of them can't tell me what's on Netflix. So I know that's part of it, right? They're not watching a lot of TV, but in your opinion, how do you find that balance of time to do all these things? Yeah, that's a great question, Paul. That's a juicy one. I mean, there's so many, ways we could take this. Um, okay. Let's look at things this way, right? I got to tell you this. Time 
is the great equalizer. Every single one of us, we have the same 24 hours in a day. Everyone. And it doesn't matter what kind of work you do, whether you're affluent or not, doesn't matter. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. And you get to decide how you spend those, right? Part of that time is going to be working. Part of that time is going to be sleeping. Part of that time is your, your leisure time. But have a plan. Have a plan. And so how I do it, I plan. I plan my days. I time block my days every, every day so that I have a rough idea of the things I want to get done. I'm organized about it. I'll block time out um, at the beginning of each day and have an idea. Here's my top priorities for the day, what I need to work on. And I make sure that each of those has the appropriate time allotted to them. And when it comes to activities like writing, I do quite a bit of writing. You got to put it in your calendar and dedicate consistent time um, you're not going to sit down and write a book by the whole week. You're doing nothing but write, 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 write. That's not realistic, especially you have other things going on. And so what the way I do it, I block out an hour a day where I have it scheduled on my calendar. I'm going to sit and write. And some days you produce a lot. And then there's other days where you're basically writing for the waste paper basket. Mm. But it gets you in that creative mode. That's what's important. You get into a creative mode, into a mode of flow and producing, and it gets the gears turning in your head. And it's just like working out at the gym. You go consistently, you see progress. You're not going to see much progress from one day to the next. But after six months, when you turn around and look back, wow, you've come a long way. You've made a lot of progress. And so with writing, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Be consistent. I'm, I'm involved in, um, in different writing projects, and I love doing it. I love – it's one of the ways I give back. I share a lot of concepts and ideas, and, um, and I really enjoy that, really enjoy that. But that, that's, how you, that's how you can fit it in. Right. Think think of this, Paul, when you uh, work on a project that takes six months to a year. I mean, it's it's a wonderful journey and it's not so much about producing the thing, the end product. That's great. And that's wonderful. But a bigger part of it is. What kind of a person did you grow into and become because of that journey? Because you were consistent, you were diligent. You were disciplined. What does that do for you as a person and your own personal growth? It's huge. You become a changed person, a changed man at the end. And so that's something I wish for everyone. Pursue pursue your the things you want to pursue, but take that approach. Take that approach, and I can guarantee you, you're going to be so pleased in your own growth in what yeah. kind of a person you've become. That's great advice. Yeah, I, I think I, I find myself saying this a lot with guests, but 
this is one of those episodes I'm gonna I'm gonna be listening back again at the gym. I I do, that's where I do most of my listening, is either running or at the gym. And and I, there was a lot of great stuff. I usually go into a summary recap, and I'll let you have the last word. But the the beginning at, of the podcast when you talked about your tech experience resonated. This ending resonated, but the things in between also. So asking yourself the three questions about your 401k. I thought yeah. that was brilliant. Where's your stuff invested? Um, turning your hobby into a passion, your advice on self-directed IRAs, um, taking your 401k with you, right? Just making sure and using that analogy. Hey, you took your you took your coffee cup with you when you packed up. They, take, your, take your 401k with you, right? Don't leave it at the office, right? Uh, you would take it just like everything else. So lots of great advice there. I encourage our listeners to really dig deep and to listen to this episode, um, especially my tech friends. A lot of things to learn here, a lot of different investment strategies. And so I really appreciate your, your help today, Fred, and, and making this podcast awesome. So thank you. Uh, thank I'll you. let you have the last word. What is your what is your takeaways, final thoughts, and where can people find you? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Here's my final my final thought for, for all of you. Um, I want to leave you with this with this idea. This is something I learned from one of my heroes. I consider them to be my mentor. Uh, I'm I'm from Philly, from Philadelphia, and I love looking back and learning from one of our founding fathers of this country, Benjamin Franklin. He was such a unique and wise and brilliant man. He left us with so many inventions, so many ideas. But what I love that, that he would always say this is that an investment in knowledge always pays the highest dividends. And so no matter what you do, seek to invest in yourself. Don't be one of those people that feel like once you graduated high school or graduated college, you're done learning. No. It's not like that. Don't be one of those people you graduate, finish college, and never open a book again for the rest of your life. I, I love the idea of being a lifelong learner, always pursuing your education, your growth, learning new things. That's going to serve, serve you so well, no matter what you do. Now, as far as for connecting with me. I, I love speaking with, with people, building relationships, networking, speaking with investors. Uh, it's something I really enjoy. And so feel free to reach out to me. You can connect with me by visiting my website, which is fredmoskowitz.com. Or if you prefer an easier spelling, you can go to giftfromfred.com and that'll take you to my website. Uh, if you prefer to use a mobile device, you can text me. That's okay, too. Text the keyword money to this number, 215-461-4433, and then follow the prompts. And uh, love connecting, as I said, love building relationships. If you want to learn more about node investing, if that got you curious, you can check out my book. It's available on Amazon called The Little Green Book of Node Investing. I look forward to hearing from you, connecting with you. And Paul, this has been a wonderful conversation. I feel like we could spend hours and hours going into different topics. So a lot Absolutely. of fun, 
lot of fun. And thank you so much. I really appreciate you for the work you're doing. And thanks for the opportunity to have me on your show today. Thanks, Fred. I really appreciate it. And well, I always end the podcast the same way. Uh, well, Fred, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Um, thanks, well, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the financial dads are here to help you plan for success.